Hey all brothers and welcome back again to another drop pod. Now, this drop pod has something cool. A sofa. So Ben has come to <laughs> Bristol once again. Um, and this time, rather than our flashy studio setup uh, that is a couple <laughs> of random chairs in my uh, hobby room, we're downstairs, um, sat on a sofa. Yeah, very cosy. Yeah, it is very too. cozy it is too. So thank you for joining us. Um, we appreciate that. Space Marines going to war on a sofa in a drop pod. Space Marines going to war on a sofa is, is the title of my new album. <laughs> <laughs> Coming out, <laughs> launching in January. Yeah. yeah. So guys. Thank you for joining us. Tonight, as ever, we are going to the hobby desk, so you'll find out why we're not in my hobby room tonight. We're going to talk a little bit about some hobby sort-outs, I suppose, that you and I have been having. Yeah. Um, into the galaxy of war. So we have a little bit of background to tell you to make sure we get the points we need for our Autumn Tides Because um, you're so tomorrow. badly organised. Because I'm slightly badly organised uh, um, because I'm, I spend all my time worrying about Ben, so I don't have time to... <laughs> <laughs> and we're gonna we're gonna be talking to some people about what they brought along to Autumn Tides. So that's pretty cool. Then into the mortal realms. Um, gonna talk about world creation, really. Yeah. Just some ideas around what yeah. what actually are the realms. Because um, we were having a chat about it earlier, and uh, and then we thought, well, that would make a good podcast subject, so we'll do that as well. Hail to the community. We've been really fortunate. Um, I've carefully uh, planned, organised uh, a meet up with Jim, uh, so that we could have a structured conversation <laughs> tonight so we've got an interview with jim from big he's very kindly chatted to us and then finally into the wilds where we want to talk about some awesome terrain that we've seen recently uh, from tabletop world yeah. so guys make sure you've got your refreshments um we are refreshed at quarter to 12 in the evening <laughs> so thank you for joining us catch you soon Hi guys, welcome back, um, and we're on the hobby sofa. We are, <laughs> this is flipping sofa. awesome. <laughs> we, need, we need to do this more often. Podcast sofa. So I think it's fair to say that there's not many people that are more organised than us. <laughs> no, the exact opposite, who are less organised than us, really. Um, the fact that we've just sprung an interview on Jim, who's uh, been very kind and um, accommodated us, is a very good example, but a hobby room's have to be another example, don't they? Because we just have a mess. Well, they are at the moment, but there's a greater. That's they're working towards a greater level of organisation. I my hobby desk is is organised chaos. Yeah, but yours is always like that. Mine at the moment, it's it's really like it's breaking part of my soul. Yeah, because I usually like everything in its place, dude. I've got separate boxes that I keep the cards and dice for Age of Sigma separate to yeah, well, you've, Warhammer 40k. We've gone on about those before. Yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. but that's my level of organisation. But at the moment... It's a bit of a cluster. Yeah, it's not good. But there is a reason. So, um, interestingly, not a huge amount of hobby projects, painting projects, or gaming to talk about this week, unfortunately, guys, over the last no. couple of weeks. But the reason for that is I am having a Pacific Rim moment. By which I mean, and reset, <laughs> reset the, the clock. clock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, hey guys, I went through something which many hobbyists probably do go through, but I had that overwhelming sense of all oh, my flipping days. Never gonna I'm never going to get all this done. And actually, it got to the stage where the collection around me of unpainted stuff was getting me down because I wasn't feeling like I could engage with the new and exciting things that were coming out. 
because of the stuff that was like sitting in the cupboards waiting. Mm. Um, so I made the decision to start moving some of that stuff on and, and trimming down the collection um, to my core collections, really. So my corn army, um, very close to my heart, and, and other stuff that I've got painted. So I've got my close to your heart. I mean, listen to it. It's, it's like sitting next to the art heretic himself. Hi, nice to meet you. My name's Khan. <laughs> Run! <laughs> Games with painted soldiers on painted terrain. I need more painted terrain to do that. And, and that's my aspiration. And it's great that people enjoy themselves playing with figures that aren't painted and terrain that isn't painted or, or stuff that they've ad hoc together. There's nothing wrong with that if you love it. It's not my hobby. Uh, my hobby is, is, is getting those collections. Although at the moment it seems simply to be collecting stuff everywhere. So I've started trimming it down. And my wonderful wife, Harriet, has very kindly agreed that um, one of our back bedrooms I can turn into a little bit of hobby space, um, hobby down space, which is very exciting because it means I'm going to be able to set up some proper storage and a proper gaming table with storage underneath it. Uh, I'm really start enjoying the hobby how I've always kind of dreamed. And it it's that bit where I often find myself looking back and thinking, oh... I wish I had the time. I wish I had the time I had then, you know. It was so much better yeah, when I was 18. Yeah. The hobby was so much better. I had more time. Uh, but actually, what this represents in a kind of slightly early midlife crisis kind of way <laughs> yeah. is... Go on to his actually, eBay account to work out how big of a midlife yeah, crisis yeah, it is. Yeah, it is, yeah. It's, um, it's a chance to really explore the hobby and do things that you can do because you are fortunate enough to have a place that you live in and, and a room and a, an incredibly understanding wife. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> very much so. At the moment, for me anyway, total disarray. Um, most of my hobby time is spent packaging stuff up and sending it off. Um, yeah, I mean, your approach has been to just to just get rid. Mm, it's quite extreme. It is. Kind of the way I, I, I do lots of things. I can't do that. No. I can't do it. But then I can only assume that you are more able to cope with the idea in your head that you might not paint everything you have. Yeah. Because I because can. Mine aren't really necessarily models. I consider them as an extended bits box. So I've picked up so many random things, so many sprues of this or that or the other. And it gets... I don't store it on the sprue. I gave that up a long time ago because... Well, then you, you'd need a warehouse. <laughs> so I take it off the sprue and put it in little zip seal bags and it goes in a kind of extended bits box. So, And I think that there has been times where that benefits me massively, but it is, it's a bit of a weird thing because I just couldn't, I couldn't even fathom selling all of that off. I think part of it for me is when we bought this house a few years, like five years ago, I sold a bunch of stuff then. Yeah. And we used that to put a new kitchen in to give an indication of quite how crazy that was. Um, but that meant that a lot of that collecting stuff and stuff mm. that meant a lot to me went then. Yeah. And now I'm almost like I've gone the other way because I've. Well, we've both been playing long enough that some of those, some of those models are worth it. I know they are, but it's money. not. I, I'm just like, I don't, I can't. I cannot re-engage with the inner collector that wants all those old things because I've got rid of so many and looking back on that would break my heart. Yeah, so now yeah. I'm committing to being the gamer who has stuff that's actually usable and, and I can play with. And 
this I said to Jim earlier, it's not about selling everything because I've, or not everything, but a load of stuff because I don't want to do the hobby. It doesn't engage me and I want some money back. No, 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 no. This money is going in a pot, which is the hobby pot. And so it will just, it will just be about getting stuff that's more relevant and trying. And I'm sure we will be laughing about this in a few episodes time to be in a place where stuff that I buy, I engage with and it gets done Mm. and I get some use out of it and I get the maximum value out of it. Even if that means um, that certain things I buy, I buy and they're painted. You know, by I somebody else. Mad. yeah, painted by somebody else. Because I would rather have, I've got to this place where I would rather have one tactical squad that's painted and I can use than five that yeah. are not painted and not being used. Yeah. Um, and it's not, and that's not even about not enjoying painting. That is time, purely time. Because yeah. I love painting more than I ever have now. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Um, and if you, uh, sorry, I'm. I do this a lot, but I'm you just don't. cutting in. Yeah, no, you do. Me again. <laughs> uh, if you had asked me, I don't know, four years ago maybe, about commission painting, I'd have been like, I don't get it. I don't get commission painting because that's not the hobby. That's ridiculous. In fact, I was almost, and I look back now and I think, what an idiot. You can spend, if you think about my collection, I've got, I've got all of the starters kits. And with the starters kits, because I have a whole bunch of stuff, I would do if I had time. Nurgle, for example, is a really good one. I'm going to get my teeth into the Primaris. That will take me months, I should think, to finish all of that lot. Um, or maybe even if it's just a month. The Nurgle are going to get put to one side. But when I think about how I want my collection to be, I want to be able to have people over to play a game and then not have to bring everything. Like Alexander or someone like that can come in and go, oh, I've got a bunch of chaos. And they're on the box. And they're put together, and they're all cleaned up, but you wouldn't enjoy painting or playing with that plastic model. Whereas I think that there's a huge area for a commission painter to step in and paint all of that stuff that you're not going to have time to do, but is you know something you'd like to have as a general collection. I think there's, I think, yeah. I think, so I have played games. When, we, when I did the Hobby Weekend, I played games with models that weren't painted. And I wouldn't say... I didn't enjoy those games. No, but I but think they're not my aspiration. Yeah. yeah, I think there's. I think one of the things that I've come away from working in games workshop with is a is a need to have nicely done board with a nicely done army on it because once you've played a game that isn't on a rug on the floor with piles of books as your tree as your hills and polystyrene crap as your fortifications, um, it's very it's very difficult to go back. Mm. <laughs> it really is, um, and you start looking for other ways to make it easier for yourself. And those pre-painted scenery stuff like foreground or the ones we were looking at with Jim tonight, which you'll, we'll talk, come back, we'll come up later in the interview. I look at those sort of things now and think, brilliant, I can buy that, and put it together, and it's done. And I don't need to think about it. Which goes back to like our previous conversation about the Mechanicum sector. It's fantastic, fantastic models. But I would not want to be in the position of, say, Hendy Badger with his massive table of Mechanicum stuff because I'd want to do all the stuff to it. I'd want to paint all the little bits or at least a lot of it and I'd want to weather it and I'd want to put posters on it. I'd want to chevrons and all that stuff. But you've got to make a choice between getting it out and on the table or not. Well, yeah, you, you compromise, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah. And, and, and a lot, it's really good to try and understand what you want from the hobby 
when you're going to make those decisions. Yeah. And then you have to, you ultimately have to say, what's more important? Yeah. Isn't it really? What's more important to me? I was the most productive with my hobby. My ultramarine army was coming out at such a rate, you know, every week I was finishing a unit. That was how I was approaching it. And the reason was I would get up in the morning half an hour earlier than I needed to and do some painting. Mm. And I would go to bed or Harriet would go to bed and then I would go to bed like half an hour later because I would do a bit of painting. And then in between that, I would do, you know, a couple of hours. I'd have a hobby evening, as it were, and do some painting. So, but you can't, it's much harder to do that if you don't have a setup. Yeah. And if you don't think about it first and make sure the stuff's there, even simple things. And I know it's, it sounds mental and I suppose it is probably, but nothing you say sounds mental, dude. (laughs) (laughs) At the end of a hobby session, a painting session, I will take my water, clean it out, put fresh water in and put it back on my desk, ready for the next session. Because yeah. it's one less barrier. I'll just paint with the dirty water. Yeah, but your pen <laughs> and you still paint nicer than me, so whatever. Get out. I think um, Tommy was talking about a chap who he knows up in Manchester. Um, he has a massive hobby turnout because we were talking about painting large armies and um, painting well quickly. And actually we got on to talking about dry brushing and how it has been viewed for a long time as being a kind of basic level technique. Well, he showed me some pictures of um, of his uh, Space Wolf vehicles, which he dry brushed, and they're just stunning. They look like they're airbrushed because he's taken dry brushing to a pro level. And I think that's really key because this guy is churning out stuff and he only paints for 15 minutes in the morning with a cup of coffee. Every day, 15 minutes, every single day, like clockwork, as part of his morning routine. And I think that is the key. And I know this is probably a weird hobby section for, because we normally talk about what we've done and what we're probably, what we're really doing is philosophizing on, um, on the hobby in general a bit. But I think that consistency, that's where you get results. And your space green army parallels to my iron snakes when I was the most, um, productive at painting was when I was studying, um, hard for my exams, um, in university. I was using painting in small blocks, 15, 20 minute chunks, to break up the, <laughs> the misery of studying for five hours a day. Yeah. Um, because I couldn't study for five hours a day and focus on all of that medical stuff that I needed to know without having my brain go to a different place, mm. reset, so I could come back and go, right, new topic. And that's interesting you say that, because the last couple of weeks, or maybe month, where I've been on this sort of sorting everything out, I've been getting properly wound up because I've not had any of that time yeah. where I take my brain out of normal normality yeah. <laughs> and pop it into I'm doing some painting. Yeah. It's incredible how therapeutic sitting down it's doing some painting It's almost meditating. Is. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's getting it deep now. It is getting deep. Interestingly, 91 hours and 25, no, 91 and a quarter hours a year, 15 minutes a day. That's not bad. It's quite a lot, isn't it? That's like Nearly four days. Yeah. Solid. Yeah, you could you could turn out quite a lot. Yeah. Especially using the techniques that it appeared yeah. like he was using. He was, you know, really churning it out. But I think one of the things that amazes me, thinking about I mean, my hobby area is effectively a, a shed in the garden. Um, and it's the, the, the storage is just random bookshelves that I've gathered over the years. Um, but loads of people post their hobby things. I mean, it's like an almost monthly kind of topic, isn't it? Post your hobby areas. Some people's hobby areas are phenomenal. 
But the ones that really intrigue me are the ones that they clearly don't have a lot of room. And what they manage to achieve in that amount of room, like literally a painting station under the stairs, like mm. a Harry Potter painting desk. <laughs> um, and that, that for me is really exciting because that's making it work. Mm. You know, that's genuinely thinking about the hobby and how how they can achieve it. And actually those areas look really cosy. I'd probably enjoy painting. I know, like stuff. when we first moved here, I had my painting desk in the corner of the lounge, just wedged in a corner. And that was quite nice because I could sit and paint while Harriet watched Strictly Come Dancing. Yeah. Although I didn't get a lot done because I ended up watching Strictly Come Dancing, but <laughs> these things happen. <laughs> and Call the Midwife. And then I watched Call the Midwife and that was a right pain because although it's wonderful because now i got Joshua, that's what it led to and now I don't have any time. <laughs> but... I still, it's very worthwhile, obviously. I'm just <laughs> popping that in, because uh, just in case Harriet's listening to this section. Yeah. I can see her, her the look. <laughs> ben, can you talk? Because I'm digging a hole. <laughs> I'm letting you dig, mate. I'm so, how you doing? Let me throw you some sandbags down there. <laughs> and I, I really do enjoy painting with my family around, because the kids get involved. I paint on the kitchen table a few times, but... Then I irritate Jay because I've got the I've got the cable running across for the light, and then I've got another cable running across for the hairdryer, and she nearly punches me because she trips over one cable. Or the and that's other just and when you're doing your hair. That's just when I'm doing my hair. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so what I'm looking forward to doing next, let's think about what once we both because we're both sorting out our hobby areas. It's been a bit of a bit a bit of a crazy couple of weeks. Um, Next thing for me is a mixture of the Necromunda Gangs and the Shade Spire stuff. I want to get the Shade Spire wallbands done. Um, really, I'm probably equally as excited about the Skelly Bobs as I am with the Escher. Can't wait to get myself stuck into the Escher. So it's interesting, um, as a LinkedIn with this kind of, what do you want from the hobby? So I've, I've ordered my copy of Necromunda. Yeah. Um, and I freaked out not long after because I was like, oh, when am I going to paint this? So, um, you very kindly offered to paint a unit for me mm-hmm. for Christmas. I don't know what madness put in yeah, but yeah. But it was very kind of you. Yeah. And, yeah. and so I've chosen the Goliaths from that. I've had a chat with Tom, um, and he wants to get involved with Necromunda, but he doesn't want to buy into the whole thing. So he is actually going to purchase the Escher. Mm. So he, the Escher will be his from my box. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. and then I'm going to go out there and do the most challenging thing, which is paint that terrain. With all the dry brush in. Which terrain? The terrain that comes in the box. Oh, you know, okay. like the bulkheads. Like the small amount of terrain. Yeah. yeah. Hey. Don't, yeah, don't stress yourself no. out about it. Have you finished um, your corn? No. God, hell, man. <laughs> no, I've not finished the corn. That's what I want to do when I get set up. I want to get the last bits of that done. Yeah, that really need to. Well, I've, I've actually sent the Bloodthirster um, 60 blood letters. 17 Flesh Hands and Karanak are all with a commission painter right now. It's oh, being painted. Because that's a massive blob of just red, which I was like... Of heresy. Of heresy. <laughs> this is, this is, I realised. I'm a corn player who's saying, like, I can't face painting all this red. No, you're a corn <laughs> player who doesn't like painting red. The painted picture is sat next to me in a corn hoodie. Yeah. With his blazing red hair. Grinning about it. Woo! <laughs> I'm very excited. So those are going to get done. Jumper, man, just to counteract this. It's like you do, but the thing is, you wouldn't want to be seen in one of them, would you? Really? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so anyway, the demons are going to get done. 
And then I've just got about four vehicles to do. I found a, a little unit of the old blood, blood letters the other day. Did you? Yeah, with the big, the massive muscled ones yeah, with yeah. the massive swords. I actually thought it'd be quite good fun to paint them. Axes they've got, haven't they? Axes, yes, they yeah, do. Yeah. yeah. They're quite, quite good fun. So, yeah. <laughs> so that's a plan. So, so that's a plan. Because yeah, I'm not that far off getting the corn finished. Well, what are you going to do when you finish your corn, Andy? Nurgle. Oh. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's, that's not unexpected. <laughs> okay, yeah. I'm, I'm well, actually, really... I'm going to finish my salamanders for heresy first. Oh, mate, don't even get me started on heresy. I would love, I'd love to sit down and paint a heresy army of wolves. I mean, you know I would. Yeah, because you're absolutely in love with the new releases. But, yeah. How salty can we get on new <laughs> I am not in love with the new releases at all. I'm very disappointed with the Forge World ones so far. I'm going to have to see them in person before I make my mind up, but when you compare them to... Even even within the same range... I'm building up to this, right? <laughs> but even within the same range, if you look at like the fur on Lehman Russ compared to the fur on those Vagyar, which is Rengian Guard, effectively, but if you look at the difference between the two, it is... It's like the difference between me sculpting and Tommy sculpting. It's ridiculous. It's so poor. Um, but I will judge it when I see it in person. And there are other elements I do like. Some of their faces are pretty cool. Um, and I like the not work on their shoulder pads. But other than those, which I've been waiting for for years mm. and been disappointed by, I, I really I like the Space Wolves in the 30, 30k. I really do. I like the grey armour. I like the... The feel of the army. I like the fact that Russ is there leaving forward. I'm really keen to do them. Um, but I've got to get the 40k ones done first. Or to a point where I can then move on to the 30k ones. Get that to an army size. But what's really catching my attention at the moment, what I really want to get stuck into, is getting Age of Sigma painted. Which is really interesting. because, And we'll probably touch on this a little bit later. But I didn't have the inspiration to paint Warhammer Fantasy Battle. I did when I first started collecting. And I painted an elf army, which is all been stripped back now because it was so shocking. Um, and I'm a bit sad that some of it has gone to prosperity without being photographed. But um, I, I think I lost the love for wanting to collect an army working in the Games Workshop because trying to get the Warhammer Fantasy Battle rules across to beginners cost me years of my life. Yeah, and it's important to bear in mind as well that you're, you mainly did Sunday Beginners. I did. Didn't yeah. You? I did Sunday Beginners and Painting Night and a couple of other release Saturdays and stuff. Um, and I really struggled with one of my fantasy battle. I struggled because people were argumentative about it in a store. If I gave people set up and play 40k, there wasn't normally an argument. If they set up and played fantasy battle, typically there was some tension. Um, so I got put off painting the models. I collected a ton of them, but. I never really got stuck into painting them. Now, going through my collections, I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to paint these and those and those and these and these, and I want an order army. And oh. So I think that's where, at the moment, the thing that's really inspired me. And like I was telling, talking to you earlier, a guy on a square base gets lost in a unit. A guy on a round base is an individual. He is an individual, and he can be treated and painted as an individual. And I think... I think that's another key thing that's caught, caught my attention with it. But we can talk about a little bit about that later. And, yep. Yeah. So, but I think it is important that right at the end there, so we've talked about 
changes we're making. Not a lot will be done, but there's definitely some plans and a bit excitement. Of yeah, a bit of philosophizing. There's definitely some excitement um, about what's to come next, isn't there? So when we've, um, when we've got everything sorted, I feel like it's a spring clean. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. really excited. Cool. So, guys, thank you for for joining us on the uh, quite messy, untidy, crazy-looking hobby desk. (laughs) So make sure you grab yourself some refreshments before we dive into the Galaxy of War. See you in a bit. Welcome, listeners, to the grim and dark future of my living room. <laughs> no, to the drop pod on our sofa. <laughs> Go into war. Come on, you cultists. I'm shouting at them because we're going to get them, man. Oh, right, yeah. Don't worry. It's not like I'm not egging them on. It sounds like the cultists that landed on uh, on um, Fenris on the Siege of the Fang and then just got wiped out piecemeal by the... So I'm, re- I'm currently listening to... Um, Guardians of the Emperor. Oh, I really want to listen to that. Yeah, so, yeah. Corn. Yeah. Are they in that? Are they? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. How can a book about the custodians have corn in it? And it's on, set on terror as well. Think oh, is this that. with the corn invading terror? Oh, yeah. they just burst and <laughs> everywhere. It's really amazing. Anyway. How hard do they get slapped by the custodians? I've not listened to that bit yet. Yeah. <laughs> 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 backhanded at the door. <laughs> yeah, so, um, mm. anyway. This is a mental segment because tomorrow we're going to be playing in Autumn Tides and um, we're going to be chatting to a bunch of people there. So we're going to have those chats later on in the segment. But we have been asked by Jim to talk about our armies, or the fluff behind our armies on the podcast. Um, there is an incentive to do this because it earns us some points. So basically what you've got to do is, is put in an email your fluff uh before midnight on the day before are we before midnight no oh, let me just check no one will know but it's anyway 12 minutes past 12 because ben <laughs> didn't read the pack that's true i did not read the pack you, you did not read the pack and i also didn't really read the pack very much um <laughs> i just got excited the key bits we were as organized as often we are yeah um we haven't written our fluff um so, we have committed to t- talk about our fluff. Should we do each other's? Okay. I'll do yours. And what? Then you can do mine. So, Dan's army is a bunch of gibbering idiots with a general IQ of about 15 who have decided to go to war because they got bored and couldn't find anywhere else to go. Rocked up to the Autumn Tides by accident and then saw some people and thought, oh, I'm going to have a go and ran across the battlefield. Tripped over, fell on their faces, um, and that was the end. Sound about right? Yeah, I, that's fairly accurate, actually. Is it? Okay, yeah, good. Yeah. yeah. Your your army? No, you, you're good. Yeah, well, one. yeah. So Ben's army are a mighty brotherhood of space marines. So those of you that listen to Dan Abnett's or heard, read Dan Abnett's Brothers of the Snake, they are absolutely flipping awesome. So the Iron Snakes are... What are they descended from? Are they Ultramarine? Yeah, it's only just... Just come out. So Ultramarine yeah. descended. Second um, They have quite a high propensity for apothecaries. One in every squad. One in every squad, which is pretty cool. And back and when, they fight all... like a flipping phalanx against they orcs. Do. And yeah. it is amazing. And their surfs stick spears in behind them. And they reload the Balkans. Uh, yeah, so yeah. um, 
honestly, they are a silver tide of utter badass. I feel bad now. Good, because that was the <laughs> idea. <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. But then essentially that's what it is. So um, the, my Iron Snake Army is based around Pride, that squad. So I have Pride as a model, and the squad is in there, marked out, um, Damocles squad. And the whole army is constructed around that. Um, and, yeah, they have a apothecary in every unit. Um, so I've represented that by using the Iron Hands special rule for um, Flesh is Weak. And um, I've got a fair few tanks and heavy stuff in there. So I've got a bike squad, a tank squad, a, a land raider and a predator. Because I know in the, in the books they come across as mainly infantry based um, because they're on a small scale. But I think I've used the tanks to give a balance because I've got good about half the army is infantry, half the army is vehicle. Um, and I've got a few terminators stuck in there for... Um, to represent the first company, because there's a lovely dynamic in the book where Pryad and the captain of the first company have a kind of weird conversation where the captain of the first company is like, who's this guy? And then the dreadnought's like, well, you should know who that is. That's Pryad, the sergeant of Damocles, the notable squad. And it's a bit of a slapdown. So that captain is in there as my first, actually leading the, leading the army. Because um, I envisioned, envisioned that after that sort of campaign, they would start to work or know each other a bit better and work together more often. So he's in there. Fluff-wise, they're hunting your Chaos Warband. That's how I've kind of decided it, because they are, they're very calculated Space Marine chapter, so there's a story in the Bad Out Wars where they go to rescue a colony from the Dark Elder. I don't know if you've read this one. And they let the Dark Elder attack two more times before they react and spring an ambush to lull them into full sense of security. Um, so that they can completely wipe them out rather than any getaway. Um, so they're quite calculating cold, and they, they hunt. They, they come across as quite a, a, an army that's dedicated to hunting down a warband and eliminating them when they're moving on. So that's that's the theme of my army. A fast mobile hunting squad with the apothecaries. And every one of my squads has got a modelled apothecary. So your corn army, go for it. That's cool. Um, so I've been thinking about the the background of my corn army recently anyway because of the event we're going to go to in january tenebris event yeah um so tenebris event is largely based around nurgle so i wanted to think about why why were my corn army there what were they doing um so um the idea is that my i've just realized that corn and nurgle, oh, i've just remembered that corn and nurgle have that rivalry well, they do, but only in the same way as all Chaos Gods. They're the main rival of, of Cornish Slanesh. Are you sure? Y- yeah. Not Nurgle? Yeah. Okay, yeah, carry on. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, the the idea is that my, my Corn Lords, and I have to be honest, I'm not great with names, coming up with names, so I'm still struggling. So any suggestions would be great. Ooh, name and, Dan's Corn Lord. And, and if... I know that's going to be a barrage of ridiculousness, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Like, oh, no. brilliant. Bring it on. <laughs> captain slapped by a space wolf or something. That's all it's going to be. That so, is the best so, name ever. Translate that into Latin, you're done. But my, my <laughs> corn lord is based, the, the conversion is based on Corgus Cole from Age of, uh, Age of Sigmar. Um, because my so idea is I want it to, to come through. So I'm thinking something cull, but I don't want it just to be Corgus Cull. So I'm thinking something cull. So, um, so anyway, his warband, um, essentially become, they're, they're part of the, the world eaters, anyway, um, who, as we know, they go to the Siege of Terror, they leave the Siege of Terror, 
they get stuck in the warp, becalmed in the warp. Um, they start to become overcome by warp-borne disease. They're dying off. They're like, flipping heck, this is ridiculous. Um, so Typhus rocks up and says, I'll get you out of here. But you flipping owe me. Uh, and so Typhus leads them out. They carry on crusading. So years later, the Tenebris thing kicks off. So there are plagues bursting out all over the Tenebris system. But there's a planet, uh, an ice planet, where the plagues won't take hold because it's so flipping cold, the plagues can't take hold. So um, the reason that the planet is a nice planet is it's a nuclear winter. So they destroy their own planet to protect themselves against yeah, all these plagues. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so they've destroyed their own planet. They're like, yeah, we protect ourselves. And then out of the ice and the snow, just pour thousands of red demons and my warband, essentially, yeah, who yeah. are repaying that debt to Typhus, and then the heat the, from the basically from the fury of their their battle starts to melt the snows, and then the Nurgle come, and then it all goes really bad. Oh, okay. So yeah, so that's our background, um, and hopefully now we're gonna we'll, we'll leave it here because tomorrow we're gonna be we're gonna be on on the on scene at the tournament and talking to people about their awesome armies. Absolutely. Hey, hi guys. Um, Dan here from the 2P. So as you guys know, we're at the Autumn Ties today. I've just played Adam um, and his Ultramarine Force. Um, to say he's done well uh, would be an understatement, Adam, you reckon? Yeah, well, I think my army's probably a bit more competitive than your one, which is a very nice fluffy <laughs> army. So. Uh, yeah, well, uh, the guys on here will know that mine competitive doesn't go with mine very well. So right, I, okay. I will do, I will do. But no, you had a good list. So... Um, couldn't take Gilliman because of the rules here. Nope. So you went with a chapter master? Yeah, chapter master on a bike. So three um, command points before the game, and he gets to give everyone a, a re-roll bubble within six inches, basically. So like a little mini Gilliman. Including his friend, the Spartan. Yeah, the Spartan is That is a vehicle. seriously powerful piece of equi equipment. Eight last cannons is going to do some damage. <laughs> as long as it can see things. Yes, well, that is true. Where it was completely wasted. Yeah, but I think that was more because you'd killed a lot of my stuff. Yeah, I, I was. Like... I did feel bad for inconveniencing you, <laughs> oh, but that's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, it seems like quite a few times with any army where you cast up loads and you've got a lot of firepower, things that are in the open die, and you end up having lots of armies crowded behind bits of uh, terrain. So yeah, that's a disadvantage. You need to have some ability. And you mentioned you've only been playing for about a year. Yeah, not very long. No, I was so originally into fantasy, but my right. friend wanted uh, to play um, 40k, so started playing that. Did you go straight in with the Ultramarines? No, actually, I really liked the Grey Knights because um, I just knew they were the most elite thing from when I used to play when I was about 16. Yeah. Um, but after playing with them in seventh for a while and getting frustrated at their lack of firepower. And then Gilliman came out. Yeah. So I thought, oh, I'll try them instead. Yeah, I'll, I'll just give it a go. <laughs> yeah, that, seems, that seems pretty good, the Ultramarines. And obviously, they get all the toys as well. So I wanted to like have all the big guns and stuff rather than just, you know, the, the, the Grey Knights are mostly a fighting force, you know, close combat. So, so I, I should admit at this point mm -hmm. that it was uh, 10 points to 1 in your yep. favour. <laughs> so any particular highlights? Oh, particular highlights is my sergeant. I can think of one, yeah. Uh, yeah, so um, I had a tactical squad with a last cannon and a sergeant had a chainsaw 
and they jumped out and stole Raven and they charged some of your berserkers because I got a point for charging them. So yeah, I it was thought, good actually because it was a point. space marine one as well, wasn't it? So you get an extra yeah. point because it's tactical escalation. Oh yeah, tactical escalation. I chose all the space marine type tactical objectives to get the extra point. But um, yeah, he charged in there, all his mates died and he basically bitch slapped your berserkers and yeah two of them ran away from a guy with a chainsaw didn't yeah. they and then I had to attack him with 16 blood letters to kill yeah, him off yeah you summoned them around him he was having a bad day at that point <laughs> so yeah and, and my one point though I am going to point out was slay the warlord which yeah, my corn lord managed to get so I think with my uh, chapter master everything was going quite well he was one of the only two units left on the board I thought I'll charge him get the last wound off didn't get the last wound off and learnt uh, that Corn uh, HQs are pretty good in close combat. <laughs> yeah, he's not bad. Uh, you were unfortunate though because your Spartan split its fire, didn't it? And, it, and you had some bad rolls. Yeah, there was yeah, a particular I, point I at the table, it. wasn't I, there? That where everything you rolled in that area just seemed to be bad dice rolls. Oh yeah, down the far <laughs> end of the table. I yeah. got so many ones and twos there. It was pretty unreal. It was crazy. Cool. Well, thanks for chatting to me, dude. Good no, luck for the rest the of the game, tournament. Mate. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was it was ace. So we've, we've shared details. So hopefully in the future, I've got some photos. So I'll stick those on Facebook, guys. And we'll play some more games. Good luck. Cool. Cheers, man. Alright guys, I'm back. Um, this time I've Lloyd with me, so we've just played our game. Um, really great game, really appreciate it. So the first thing I need to say, Lloyd does wargaming right. Um, so the reason for that, I say that, is because we just got to the point where we knew the writing was on the wall. Um, Lloyd had definitely got the victory seven points to three, and he uh, he said, shall we, shall we just wrap up? And uh, cracked out, promptly cra- cracked out a thermos flask uh, and offered me a cup of tea and um, when we sat back and started talking about gaming over a cup of tea which is fantastic so ben has just come upstairs yeah, as we well um so, so which version of heretic lost uh well the corn force is lost it's a shame eh? so lloyd obviously you've got your thousand sons in front of yes. you now you mentioned to me you haven't been gaming for very long have you no i think that was my eighth game and that's not just of eighth edition that is of 40k altogether so yeah, bit of a bit of fresh blood. Good, yeah, that's good. And how are you finding it? It's a learning curve. It's certainly a learning curve. There's a lot to remember, but uh, thoroughly enjoyable. Faced some great opponents today. Really good. Really good. Yeah, yeah. T- tactical excellence. <laughs> <laughs> They've no. been honourable. <laughs> so how come you went with um, Zinch? Because did you say it's it's not what you started with, or was it what you started with? Do you know with? what I started with? Age of Sigma. Right. I actually thought I was, I'd make an Age of Sigma army. It turned out in the um, where I'm from, in Swindon, it seemed to be more 40k mm-hmm. played. I already had some Zangors, so I just thought I'd roll with it, but just got totally hooked on the Thousand Suns. Beautiful models, love blue, love the lore behind them. Yeah, hooked on them now. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> so Ben's massive Space Wolf fan. So and they ah uh, right, he's the enemy. I yeah, see. yes, he is. No, the no, enemy. you're the enemy. <laughs> <laughs> So, so in the game, um, play pretty well. Uh, very powerful psychic stuff. Any high points in the game for you? It's got to be when uh, your warlord hit my rhino with his big axe, and managed to make it explode, and killed himself. Yeah, <laughs> it's got to be the high point. <laughs> it wasn't anything I did particularly skillful, but yeah, that that was probably my favourite point. <laughs> it was You've played funny. eight games. Yes. Have you been painting for that short amount of time? Because that army is stunning, if that's true. Uh, again, it's been a steep learning curve with that, and I've been properly 
bury my head in books and YouTube. Uh, you know, Duncan videos are fantastic. I did do a touch of painting when I was younger, uh, when I was about 15, so it's got to be about 17 years ago now. Never played when I was younger. I just bought a few models and painted them then. But I am an art student, so I like to think I've got a bit of uh, knowledge behind me anyway. That's a bit like when I watch... Um strictly come dancing and the people are good that are actually like musicians and dancers already because they've already done a bit of dancing so Lloyd's done yeah, a bit of painting yeah, I did did my time at uni doing the art and um, yeah I think it, it helped a bit yeah. we always like to reference back to me watching something ridiculous on telly. <laughs> it, was, it was Justin Bieber last week <laughs> so which is your favourite model dude? I love the Scarab Occult Terminators, love them. Uh, that mix, well, it's not really, you know, they're, they're the Egyptian theme, which I do love the ancient Egyptians, and it's just that little touch in there with the headdresses, fantastic. Uh, and they're, they're simple enough. Like the Exalted Sorcerers, I do love them again, but they're very busy models. They, they take a bit more time to paint. Um, Zangor's very cool models, I think. Do you use the D- Duncan's Guide then for these? Essentially, yeah. I, I changed a few of the colours, um, so instead of using Nolmore, I use Duchai Violet. Yeah, yeah, I said that's on the metalwork, isn't it? That's on the metalwork as well. Yeah, yeah, so, I really uh, like that. yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's a good method. So it's it's the spray and black, spray and gold, wash the whole thing with Duchai Violet, then go in with the blues, mm. and then I wash the blues again with the violet to get a bit of shading in there, and then back to the blue. Yeah, it looks really nice. It unifies nicely. And I know you said you're rebasing into... Is it into this desert scheme? It's into the going desert scheme. Yeah, I had this sort of muddy one first, but it's um, it's a colour wheel as well. So if you look up on the colour wheel, the contrasting colours and the desert, sort of tan, just goes better with the blue. It's close. I have a colour wheel. It, it looks really cool, actually, hanging on the wall. Uh, sometimes I use it. it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I have used it, yeah, yeah, at times. No, I see. And so what's next, then, for the army? Uh... I'm at a good place with it, you know, and as, as a new player, I, I'm like, trying to keep it simple, not overload myself with new models and new rules, um, so I'm still learning exactly what they all can do, what I have already, but I think if I was to get something else, I might go for a Helldrake, uh, mm. something fast and fly across the board, maybe just as a distraction mm-hmm. to distract other people, I think. Um, and maybe a few more flamers. Like I've got the rubrics, they've all got the bolters. I'd like to try out flamers. They are savage. Rapid Fire 2. Oh, yes. oh my days. That they, is a lot of dice. Yeah, they were great at the beginning of the game. Mm. They did a, took out a lot of blood letters, yeah. I believe. Yeah, they yeah. did, yeah. Really yeah, good. they were just unfortunate to get pounced on, weren't they, in the end? But they, yeah. they did take a lot of fire Well, that's the goal. Should, should, should happen anyway. It doesn't always get there. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lloyd, it was a great game. Really, really fortunate to meet you see your army it's really awesome so you've kindly let me take some photos i'll get them up and hopefully we'll uh we'll meet again game again at some awesome. point awesome i'd love to yeah thank cheers man much. thank you very much cheers dude hi guys so we are back from our adventures um i would say it down to the autumn tides how did you find it ben I thought it was great, mate. It was good fun. Really enjoyed that. Yeah. Nice first tournament, I think. Yeah. You, you had a great big smile on by the end, which was pretty cool because it had been quite a uh, busy day, hadn't it? So you're still smiling at the end. Oh, I was knackered. (laughs) If my, the, the chap I played in my last game, Matt, was an absolute legend. So it made it much easier to get through. But by the third game, I was, um, 
I was a bit knackered, especially <laughs> as we've been up till like what one o'clock recording the night before. So yeah, yeah, yeah all well organised. Yep, that's the. We should name this podcast today, this episode, well organised. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, um, so forty-one people at the event, and you came at twenty-six. I'm not entirely sure how that happened. Well, a pure tactical genius, perhaps. <laughs> I don't think so. I got thumped in two of my games. <laughs> <laughs> but at least you didn't get thumped in all three of them. No, no. Who did, though, Dan? Uh, maybe me. Yes, but who also got a painting nomination? Oh, yes, I did get a painting nomination. That was cool. Um, yeah, so- and, and totally well-deserved, mate. Your army looks fantastic on the table. <laughs> yeah, although you've got to catch it quick <laughs> because it it's gone there otherwise. For long. <laughs> There were several points where I tried to claim that I had set up under the table and that wasn't my dead pile. <laughs> <laughs> so um, for those that are interested in such things, I came 40th out of 41, <laughs> which was just ridiculous. So embarrassing. Uh... <laughs> oh, never mind. Never mind. Well, to be honest, though, I mean, we've been chatting about it this evening and I yeah. know what I need to add to my army, and I have known for some time. But um, as per the segment in the hobby desk with regards to where we both are having a bit of a reset at the moment in the hobby, um, I can't even get to my painting desk at the moment because of the stuff in front of it. So there's no point crying about it. I've uh, Once I'm all sorted out with all that stuff, I can get back to it, add in a few key units. I want to mm. put a demon prince in. Um, and that demon prince would have really helped you against that chap with his um his little fortress of hate. Oh, Adam. Yeah, he he had a really good um good ultramarine force, castled up, lots of firepower coming out, and I just didn't have the the speed or durability really to get to get in there. Um no. nice thing with the demon prince is it's slightly smaller profile, would have been able to leap through terrain a bit. Um and a Helldrake, um I want to put one of those in as well. Yeah. Basically, just have a bit more control over the battlefield. And my my, there was a new type of card I'd not seen it before. The the um, primary objective or something like that. Yes, and it was yeah. it, where basically only your commander is able to carry it out. And yeah. because my my warlord is a terminator who moves five inches a turn, um, in my second and third, um battle i think it's called priority target identified possibly yeah yeah that sounds um, about right yeah in both of those i drew that and then i drew an objective which was about four feet away from him yeah <laughs> so you could obviously i could say oh well that was unfortunate but but equally i think knowing that that card is in there and it's worth three points really you know, I want to be bringing a HQ choice or a Warlord choice to the table who has the ability to move a little bit faster than a Terminator. Well, and your um, your Demon Prince is a is a close combat machine, so it would almost certainly deal with anything you point it at. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Lloyd, in my second game, Lloyd, um, he had a Demon Prince, pretty powerful. Um, took quite a lot to get rid of him. Um, yeah, he did a lovely job painting that as well. Yeah, and a really nice conversion um, with the Lord of Change head on top of it as well. Yeah, which is really good. But so definitely go we go again, Ben. Yeah, I loved it. It was great. It was a great atmosphere, great community feel. 
Um, and awesome to see some of the people who we kind of know through the podcast. So, but we only got to know because because of this coming up and saying hi and um, and getting to see their armies. It was fantastic to see Ed's army. Yes, yeah, I really, really nice. Oh, mate, it's it's really gorgeous. Especially, it ticks my retro models included box. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is always Definitely. important. Yeah, it's yeah. fab. Yeah. And Jim did a fantastic job of organising it. So, yeah, um, I'll be going back to that one. We're going to look around for a few more. Next one to do is an Age of Sigma game. I think. Yeah. Age of Sigma to tournament. Do something Age of Sigma. That would be cool, wouldn't it? Yeah. Ah, good. Cool. Great. Well, Thank you very much, guys. Um, just a short and sweet, this is what happened from us. Um, enjoy the rest of the episode. Hi, guys, and welcome back. And we're in the Mortal Realms after a weird 40k segment, a bit different from normal. Um, really what we want to talk about today in the Mortal Realms is going off the topic of the games we've played and the new releases. I'd quite like to talk about actually the setting because I think the setting is really interesting. Um, and while I've been going through... I'm quite passionate about the setting. Yeah. If you believe. I think it's a weird thing because Warhammer Fantasy, for me, the setting was fabulous. It was crafted for over a long period of time and there was a lot of texture to it. There was a lot of depth, and anyone who's known me for long enough in the hobby will hear me say that the best fantasy is grounded in some form of reality. Yeah, yeah, which is why Lord of the Rings is so awesome. Lord of the Rings, it reverberates back those myths that have come from our own history, from the Dark Ages, the history of the elves and the dwarves, all those things are part of Norse and Saxon history. But also towns and villages and wells and fields and crops. Well, like and life, normal life. life. Yeah. That sort of stuff brings a fantasy setting together. And when you're walking through the shires in Lord of the Rings, when you're walking across the landscape, that is really important and a real big thing. That is present in Warhammer Fantasy Battle. And some of the dioramas that people have made over the years, like um, that wonderful one on the bridge, with the Empire being ambushed by the, by the Skaven. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Um, you can really get a sense that there's a there's a normality in you know, the countryside. Um, all the Bretonians in the forest. Mm. You know, that kind of stuff. And there's a wonderful um, photograph that Games Workshop did with the knight kneeling, praying with his sword. Yeah. And there's the wood elves in the trees. Age of Sigma, for me, I felt lost a lot of that. And it replaced it with something that one fantasy battle couldn't have because it dragged itself away from that grounded reality of normal or normal life for a lot of people and put it into a. If you put some of the things like the god beasts into that, it would have been ridiculous. Um, <clears throat> I felt really incongruous. Age of Sigma gave you that. You've got people climbing up chains the size of houses. You've got you know, weird sort of stuff like that. And I felt a little bit like, yeah, cool, these great big battles with reborn god or you know, people with bits of Sigma's energy in them, and that's all great. But what for me I was missing was that normality. And the more I read about the background, the more I realised that actually a lot of that was in the Realm of Heavens, the last city. What I've been really excited about over the last couple of releases 
is that normality is coming back. Those cities have now really stamped a kind of character into some places in the in the um, in the water realms. I don't know if you think do you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, and you get the stories about like how the dragon orders sally out from their town on a kind of weekly or daily basis to push back the beasts from the walls. Yeah, that kind of yeah. stuff is really cool. Um, but then we were talking earlier, and it really occurred to me, it has occurred to me over the last couple of weeks, that we have no idea how big the mortal no. realms are. So we were discussing it, because, so we'll, we'll talk about it later in Into the Wilds, but a really, 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 really awesome wizard's tower yeah. has come out from um, Tabletop World. Yeah. And I love it. And yeah, it's really too. cool, and yeah. and I so want it. Um, but what I said to Ben was, well, I don't think it really fits in Age of Sigmar. Um, probably because of the real looking stonework. I think is the thing that yeah, got me. Yeah. Um, but then your response was, yeah, it does. Like it, it didn't even occur to you that it didn't fit. No, it doesn't. I certainly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and that got us on to talking about what are the realms like, didn't it? And you said yeah. you've got images of cottages in the middle of. I do nowhere yeah. and stuff and. Yeah. It started to gel with me, and then we talked about the size of the realms, didn't we? Well, That's how we got onto that. The realm could either be a continent, which you get some fairly good maps in the in the rule book. There's something like that wonderful map of the um, is it the realm of life. There is a really good one of the realm with, of life with the floating islands and yeah, yeah, yeah that's realm. And there's really good um, realm of metal stuff. Yeah, but how big is that? Is that just a tiny little section? Are you looking like something the size of Wales there, or are we talking about the realm of life is it a planet? Wales is the realm of life. That is well, yeah, uh, profound. Size wise, <laughs> but you know, what I'm getting at is, if it's a planet, then it will have I mean, or flat Earth theory. Is it a big kind of floating disc in some kind of ether? Um, we don't know. But how big is it? Because if it's big, then it will have different cultures across it. In a sense, they're all tied together by the theme of fire or metal or life or whatever. But it is not beyond the realm of possibility that there is a whole area that looks very much like the kind of medieval buildings. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so my feeling on the mortal realms is that you, I don't think we can actually comprehend what they're like. They're mm. so out there. You know, they don't conform. They're, yeah. they're very mist. They're magic. They are steeped in magic at their core. They are generated from magic. And so they don't, they're not round like a planet. They're not flat like we would know. They are, they can be whatever you want. Mm. And that's what's exciting. And like you say, the Warhammer world type setting that people enjoy can exist within the mortal realms. No problem. But so can a load of stuff that couldn't exist Mm. in the Warhammer world setting. Not to mention the Warhammer setting is still written down. And um, it's still going. I mean, it's, it's still, still making the, the computer games. The Warhammer yeah. Fantasy Battle roleplay is going as strong as it ever has done. Um, I'm not expecting to see the end of that. For a... But it's just so exciting, the idea of the, the realms, because there's so much they can explore. Yeah, and I think that that's the key to it. As we were talking earlier, and um, Alexander sent me a fantastic article on about why 40k did what 40k did, why the primaries had to happen, because they'd literally done everything that you could possibly imagine for the Space Marines. They needed to do something new, and they chose that route, and that's a whole other topic. But if you think about it from the Age of Sigma setting, 
That's exactly what happened. Warhammer Fantasy Battle, that universe, had reached its end point. How many times can you Groundhog Day the last one minute? It's really difficult. There's nothing new in that. The only way, and we've talked to that, is by exploring other parts of the Warhammer world. And when you look at the Warhammer world on the map, it's a weird kind of copy of our planet itself. And when you start heading into other areas, you start to really... It kind of becomes a bit of a cliché. Yeah. What is Nippon going to look like? Well, it's going to look like samurais, but no one wants to see that because it's that exists. If I wanted to play a samurai game, I'd play a samurai game. Mm. Um, and I think they'd have walked a weird kind of, well, it has to look a bit Japanese, or doesn't it, or what, what, what are we going to do with this? I can completely understand when they went, suck it, let's start from scratch. We can then have everything that we want to. We can have flying dwarves on floaty ships. We can have fire drive so interestingly i just thought i'd cut in again there um (laughs) (laughs) so unusual for you man but so since we had the conversation earlier the image has started forming in my head of that wizard's tower which we'll get some pictures of because i just need to talk about but on a floating island yeah yeah up in the air floating and then have other floating islands with like a couple of cottages on Mm. so basically imagine a small village plus wizard's tower in the fantasy realm, Warhammer fantasy, but torn out of the earth and yeah, floating yeah. on the winds of magic that are present in the mortal realms with cool little bridges between it. Or floaty fly ships. If the dwarves yeah, can have fly yeah, ships. But that's right. Yeah, but the dwarves then can be like the trading dudes that come yeah. and bring them the bread. So then I can get some of them floating dwarves. <laughs> yeah. But how cool would that be? And have it all flowing. Oh, and have like, like realm gates buried in the bottom. Oh, mate. So really, it's like the fantasy realm, but on steroids, isn't it? It's just flipping awesome. Well, it can be that, but it can also just be a village on the flat ground. And that's for me what I love about it. It's what I'm starting to love more about it. That it but it could bit... be a village on the flat ground that gets torn out and floats <laughs> up into <laughs> islands. Yeah, no, absolutely. Oh, that's exciting, isn't it? Oh, and then, and then do some, like, green-coloured storm car. Oh, man, this is going to be amazing. I think you've just built your next board, haven't you? Oh, I've, won- I've talked about floating islands every yeah. all the time. I've, I've, I'd build my own house on a floating island if, if it was possible. Maybe I'll get, like, a massive dirigible and just build it on the top of that. I've loved the idea of floating islands or cities since the back of the 4th edition... Dungeons and Dragons book. There's mm. one on the back of that, and I was like, "That, that is awesome." So it's it's a cool concept, but I think for me, what I'm excited about coming up is this idea or this hint that there's going to be Dark Oath as yes. an army. Well, if Dark Oath come as an army, then you start to explore. Because one of the things I loved about, and I think we commented on this in the last podcast, but one of the things I loved about or could get on board with with the um, Warhammer fantasy chaos is that idea of normality about it. That these people were tribesmen living in a way or near a place where the two were tangibly linked. You couldn't tear them apart and have chaos and them separately. They were so intertwined that it was part of their culture. Well, that's what the Dark Oath are. The Dark Oath is starting to now explore the how does a human think that this madness is a sensible thing? Mm. 
Because if you look at the mortal realms, there's no way that a sensible human being is going to think that one way is better than the other, because chaos will eventually end up being a complete, an utter, hellish nightmare. And you either are strong enough to survive that or you're not. Well, if you're strong, great. But what I'm looking for is how that all mixes together in a pot. So you have the Dark Oath and see how they culturally sort of come about. I'm really excited about that because to me that starts to add texture. And like I said, texture and normality is what makes fantasy investable in, in my mind. You're going to cut in on me. Can I talk st- now? You stuck your hand up. I am so excited though. Because like, so those dark oak could be living in my village, which is floating, <laughs> right? But because it's a chaos realm, the earth underneath can be like full of bunches of skulls and stuff. Yeah, oh, yeah. it's going to be so good. And you know those vines they've started selling and the bracken. You don't have many skulls though. Only like the 400,000 that you bought in those boxes. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, but like But there's that oh. weird there's that weird head in those skull boxes. Did you yeah. notice there's a skull in there of something that they haven't made yet? I reckon that'll be part of the darker. Do you? Yeah, yeah, I do. Oh. That's got like four eyes, isn't it? Oh yeah. Look like a big dragon thing. Mm. I'm thinking that'll be part of the Darko. Because I'm, I'm thinking that there's going to be a box set sometime, probably first half of next year, is what I'm expecting. But as in a box set, I mean, Age of Sigma, second edition, so Warhammer Fantasy, what would that be? 10th edition? Yeah, I don't think Warhammer that we'll see edition. editions anymore. No, that's an interesting thought in its own right. I don't think we'll see editions anymore, because I think that the core... Age of Sigma rules. I think what you'll see, because you've got the General's Handbook now, which is going to roll each year, yeah, which does the updates and stuff. Um, I think you have to think about what the starter set or the box set is. So, Blight War, that's the sort of thing I think we'll see. Things that contain some models that exist with, with some new stuff. Because the they've they've worked quite hard to create the introduction to Age of Sigma boxes, all that build up to yeah. the big Age of Sigma box. Well, that's why I think we'll see a whole new set of <clears throat> I See, I'm not convinced, because so, why? Well, how long are you... They will eventually do that. But as a company, though, why? Why would you change your thing, which is the hook for the new person that knows nothing? Only, I suppose, if you improve your technology and you want to create new models. Well, that's exactly why. Because you've you've got every generation of each edition has been marked by a new box set, and that is the hook that drags people into the hobby. But I don't think I think that they're um I just don't think they're going to see that anymore. I don't think they need to keep doing new editions anymore. I think the general well, they might not call it a new edition, but a re-release of the general box set. Mm. I mean, don't get me wrong; it'd be cool. Yeah, I think Dark Earth Forces. Maybe the the more lightly armed hunter version of the, the only thing I can see them doing that for at the moment is obviously with the we discussed very briefly because we know it's a topic to be careful on, um that the dark oath is a female miniature yeah and that they may look to do a starter set that yeah. contains a better demographic like a better mic better representation yeah, yeah, yeah. um to it you know for that reason really to find more hobbyists yeah. across different genders. I would really like to see that. Yeah, and and I would as well, but we you know, we are obviously both like to see that for lots of reasons. One of the big ones being some you know, new models. Well, right? new models, yeah. but also we both want to see the hobby grow and thrive and yeah. and uh, and be able to feel like a place for anyone to play. Yeah, because absolutely. Hobby is this hobby is a community. Yeah. 
And I think, for me, my favourite thing about this hobby is that it's a community. And that it's to play a game, I have to go and find someone to play. Mm. Um, and I think that's a really important part of it. And if you're cutting off half of your population, smoke face, I think it's dark. But I'm, I'm, I, like I said, I expect to see some form of box set. I don't think the Dark Oath are going to be a release like, for example, the Carriage and Overlord. I feel that with that, that logo changing. Mm, yeah, you mentioned that earlier, yeah. Logos change when you get a new release. Mm. So from each edition, that's when logos change. When you look at Warhammer Fantasy all the way through the editions, the logo changes when there's a new edition. It doesn't change halfway through. So if we see the Age of Sigma re-release with a new logo, I think you're going to see a new Stars box set. And I would love that to be the Dark Oath. Mm. Because why do you need simple to paint models in your Stars box set? Because the Dark Oath model is nothing like simple. <laughs> Mind you, you look at the, the Age of Sigma box set compared to like the fourth edition one. The models are just infinitely more detailed. Mm. Which is quite exciting in some ways, but on the other hand, as a beginner... It's quite challenging, I think. Yes, but then the Stormcast, you can. The Stormcast are fairly straightforward canvas. Yeah, absolutely. I was quite surprised to see, because I hadn't really had a look at the Chaos models in the Age of Sigma box set. You might, that might surprise you, but I hadn't. Um, Dude, I know that you lie on the bed at night and just go like pouring chaos models onto yourself. <laughs> that's a very bad that is scene. A worrying <laughs> image, isn't it? But I know that's the truth. But I was—I got them out because we were talking about. I had those all to paint um, after the uh, Shade Spire ones. Mm-hmm. They are nice models. Mm-hmm. They are as good as the Shade Spire ones in detail and in a lot of ways. So they're not going to be an easy thing for me to knock out. Well, I was hoping, but I might sort of change. They them. are very cool. Those those um, the models in there, really nice for such a pansy ass unit. It's, <laughs> it's a lot of detail to put in. Do you think you know this is episode twelve now? I hope people aren't getting bored of this chaos, chaos bashing slash space wolf bashing because there's many more episodes of it to come. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I'm I'm being serious though. They are they are a pansy ass unit compared to. Yeah, well, they are when there's like five or ten of them. That's my point. When there's 40. You don't want to paint 40 of those. Well, I've got 90 upstairs. Well, that explains a lot. So that's where my I feel like the hobby is crushing me has come from. <laughs> painting corn bloodletters and half-naked mental yeah. guys. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so some exciting stuff we can explore for terrain as well and world building. I think world building is... So we, we need to get Hammer Hell, don't we? For, like, the second Warhammer Quest thing. Yeah, I really want to get that. Mm. I really want to get that because I like the role-playing aspect to it. I'm really excited about that. And it's exploring another city. I think the, the fact that it's in a city really... Well, Hammer Hell's the awesome one that's in two different realms. Yeah. It crosses between... Is it Fire and Life? I don't know. I think it's Fire and Life. But that, that for me... That would be amazing. Yeah. Because I think exploring that underworld, that city, that, that gives you, that starts to put together that kind of idea of who, who is there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, and was, also you need, you, you need that stuff to be able to gauge, to show off the heroic nature of you do. the characters, don't you? Because. And to give you a reason to care. 
Yes. I don't give a monkeys if my... What are the Stormclasts taking back? I felt a little bit like when they were in the box set, the, the, the campaign, the first campaign, is it the Realm of Fire? Mm. Who, why do they care about that peninsula? Mm. There's nothing to it, but like a, it came across as like a bloody wasteland with a couple of corn towers on it. I, what? So, because I spent a bit of time reading it, and I think the, what it was is because it was like the Realm of Fire, really, really good barbecue joints. <laughs> yes. That's what it was about. <laughs> really yeah. excellent smoked ribs, <laughs> sausage, steak. But the, the if you could go and and jacket potatoes, wow, flipping amazing off that peninsula, <laughs> man! Just, just um, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Just wrap it in a bit of bit of armor, bit of bit of squished up armor. Blooming spot on. But if you if oh, trying, and you know the chaos, I'm dudes, trying to be serious here. <laughs> you know they got all those spikes on the chaos dudes. Do you know why they put on their spikes? Marshmallows. That is the best image I've had. <laughs> and I'm like, It'd be brilliant, wouldn't you, it? You need to do that now on the. Sculpts and marshmallows. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be good. Can we be serious for a sec, do you reckon? Yeah. I am being serious. Very serious. Yeah. Stormcast hmm. in the city box sets gives me a reason why the Stormcast are there. As kind of sponsoring guardian angels of yeah. these enclaves that if something goes wrong they will strike from the heavens and beat the snot out of anything that steps up. I love that idea. That they're fully invested in these kind of city building projects. And even the idea that they're part of the kind of social in a hierarchy trying to build it and create it and manage it. Yes. Yes, a thousand times yes. Because you can I can almost imagine like these people on walls going, Oh no, you know, we're under attack and what we're we gonna do is sound the horn and, brrr, and <laughs> from the sky like, comes like lightning. A horn bolts. like yeah. Gimli has yeah. Absolutely. Helm's deep. I think that, that for me is a real, that's world building right mm. there. The idea that they've got these angels that would come down, literally come down from the heavens. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. I agree. So there's one more thing I'd like to talk about in the Age of Sigma section, just quickly to wrap up. If you're into rules and you're into tournament playing or even just sort of competitive or even just gaming, I've been listening to a podcast called AOS Shorts. Very short episodes, sort of 15 minutes, and they cover a topic for each episode. Really well produced. Yeah, you you um, said to me about it, didn't you, when we were listening to one earlier, and I was really impressed, actually, and I'll certainly be yeah be listening to that. And his website has got good kind of, F, not FAQ, but kind of crib sheet kind of stuff on it. Mm. Really helpful, useful stuff to get you thinking about your army and how you would create it in the right way and how would you you would use this unit and that unit and terrain and all that sort of stuff. So I would highly recommend AOS Shorts. It's on um, Podbean um, and various other places, but it's on Podbean. If, you, if you're going there to download our stuff, then it's not, not too hard to find. Well, we could get, we can get a link. I'll pop, yeah, we'll pop the link up because I think it's well worth it if you're playing Age of Sigma. Yeah, absolutely. It's helped me. I kind of have a much better understanding of the rules in the last week. So his catch line, get better faster, <laughs> is absolutely on point. Good, good. So get up to Ben's tactical level by listening to AOS Shorts. Better get up to Ben's tactical level. That, that's not really a promotion, is it? <laughs> no, that's a no. demotion. <laughs>
<laughs> so guys, thanks for listening to the more rounds. Um, we are going to head into the community now, hear all about Jim and, and Big and the journey down there. So thanks very much for listening. Grab some refreshment and we'll be back with you soon. Right. Hello, guys. Um, Dan from the Two Ps. I'm very excited. Next to me, I have Ben, has travelled all the way up to Bristol. And we also have Jim from Big, which you'll hear me go on and on about. So, welcome, buddy. Hi, guys. Not Hi. really interested in Ben. Uh, hello, Ben. Well, I, meet, I meet you on a <laughs> weekly basis, Dan. Uh, this is the first time I've met Ben. Yeah, it well, is, that yeah. is true. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Good Ben's way, much more interesting. <laughs> <now>. <laughs> so, uh, Jim has kindly... at. What time is it now? It's ridiculous. Gone 10. 10.30. Yeah, 10.30 in the evening, the day before his big um, autumn tides that were coming to agreed to chat to us about about his hobby journey, really, and and big. I've dragged Ben out. He's yeah. basically weeping over the time, aren't you? <laughs> well, we've still got the rest of the podcast to do, but yeah. <laughs> cool. So, um, probably enough of me chatting away. So, dude, tell us about how you got started with this crazy hobby. Right, so... Um... Back in the midst of time in the mid-80s, when I was about eight, I got into... Uh, Before I was born. Probably. <laughs> okay, just put that out there. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I got into playing D&D with some mates, and at that point I was living just outside Brighton, and I think Games Workshop had, it was eight or twelve stores countrywide at that point, and they used to sell roleplay stuff, predominantly. Yeah. Um, and my dad used to drive me and my mate up there one evening a week and we would pick up models that we were using for roleplay games. Mm. And then when I moved down to Plymouth, ooh, about four or five years later, um, one of my school teachers uh, had written a historical game, uh, oh. American Civil War Ironclads, so the big metal yeah. ships. Yeah, and we played that a couple of times, and he said, "Well, if you guys want to do this wargaming thing, there's a club in Plymouth. You should go along to that." So we did, and I started playing fifteen mil ancients. Was that Plymouth Association? It was. That it was. was Paul. Yeah. Was it really? Mm-hmm. Wow, that's been around a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, so we were playing that, and we looked over one day, and there were some guys playing. It was then. Fourth edition fantasy. Uh, I think it just come out with the cardboard uh, Grom on his chariot. Yeah. And, uh, and Alfarian. Don't forget Alfarian, man. Yeah. He's a god. Yeah. Ben um, quite likes elves. I do. Yeah. And there, there was a, that, a female character on a, on a griffiny thing. Yeah. yeah. Don't ask him about elves in Age of Sigmar. No. no. Okay. He'll be here for some time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> He's and, not lying. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we kind of looked over and we were kind of like, that's cool. That's like our ancients, but with dragons. So <laughs> yeah. we were like, we, we'll give that a go. And we cobbled together out of our old roleplay miniatures and bits and pieces, most of which were Citadel miniatures, um, our first armies for Warhammer Fantasy. Mm-hmm. And then about the same time as that happened, I think Plymouth opened its first games workshop as well. So Was Mike running it then? Because he seems to be like part of furniture. Mike's so. a lot younger than me. Is he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. I'm not completely convinced Mike was... Mike, Mike may have been walking 
by that point. Well, I actually worked I, for Mike for a brief period of time. Did you? Yeah. In fact, Dan interviewed me. Yeah. Really? Yeah. 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 Oh, wow. Got my sins. Yeah. Luckily, he escaped and came up and made this awesome place. <laughs> it was a very brief time, I'd say. It was about two months, I think, I worked as a part-timer there. Two, three months? Because tr- I think Torquay was it first, wasn't it? Was yeah, it Torquay was only for yeah. Plymouth. Which isn't, there isn't a game search in Torquay anymore. Is that gone? Is it? Yeah, yeah. There's an independent stock guest, but there isn't a there isn't a game workshop. Sadly, mm. it was in a weird position. One, it game. was odd. Like there's out of the way, and and there's like scary to go to. Yeah, then there's taunting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So that's pretty cool. So what what happened then to end up to this place? Because I talk about here quite a lot, and how. Um, I like coming down and gaming and you've got such a good setup and how it's growing and you're always improving. So how did you go from your bit of part-time in Games Workshop um, to deciding this was the way forward? Well, there was a big gap between... So I, as a lot of people do, I got to about 18 and pretty much dropped out of the hobby for about 10 years. And then I'd moved back to Plymouth at that point um, said work part time in Games Workshop. I got made redundant a couple of times. I used to manage pubs, so I got made redundant a couple of times um, because 2008 happened, <laughs> and um, so I started working part time in Games Workshop. But I got back into the hobby before that, obviously. Um, and there was a place down in Plymouth, the Giant's Lair, that had opened up, and I started gaming there and got. Quite involved in playing Warhammer Fantasy on a tournament scene. Mm. Unfortunately, I didn't have the time or the money to go away to many tournaments, but I was doing most of the local tournaments for that. Um, and dabbled in a bit of Malifaux as well mm. on the competitive scene. And then when the guys down in Plymouth said that they were going to shut up shop, um, one of the guys, Andy Avery, um, said he was moving up to Bristol. And I said, well, are you looking at opening up somewhere? up there and he said thinking about it and I jokingly said are you looking for a business partner and he jokingly went well we might be <laughs> and then the more the more I thought about it the more I was like well maybe I could make this work and then we did <laughs> um, so so what did you start off with when you I mean because it's, it's a bit like a, a on a industrial estate like a warehouse comes shop fund and it's packed full of gaming tables with a little store so what what came first um this unit the whole unit yeah so when we were coming up um and looking for places you've got so it's, it's not just as simple as going i'm going to open a gaming venue yeah you you kind of have to take into account how much it's going to cost yeah yeah um and to rent a unit of this size isn't cheap and the closer to the city centre you get, the more expensive it is. Yeah. It's kind of odd thinking about cost sensibly in relation to this hobby. Yeah. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so um, and business rates go up because you are to the city centre. Mm. Um, it's harder to provide somewhere with parking. Mm. Um, and most people want to come out and game for, especially at weekends, they want to be gaming for most of the day. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tournament-wise, well, tomorrow we're opening at half nine. Yeah, not, not eight o'clock. Yeah. 
<laughs> like Dan was trying to tell. But yeah, half nine, and we'll we'll be running through. Probably finish about half six, seven ish. By the time all the announcements and everything are done, um, so paying for a day's worth of parking in the city centre obviously adds to the costs. Yeah, and we don't. We wouldn't get a huge amount of passing trade if we were in the city centre anyway. We're a, we're a destination. Yeah. Um, as opposed mm. to like games workshop, city centre shops, they're drawing people yeah. in and it's, it's a lot of passing trade. Whereas people come out here specifically to game. I mean, we see three, four hundred people a week come through the doors on average. Um, that's a mix of people gaming at tournaments. Only half of them are me coming over and over again. <laughs> Um, yeah, so some of those are coming to play tournaments at weekends. Um, a lot of evening um, guys come out and, and just play whatever games. Um, and then we do get a lot of people that just come out to use the shop. So I've got a number of customers that have never gamed here and just come out and use the shop. Because they're not having to pay for parking, they can just nip out because we're open late weekday evenings as well. So... Yeah. That's a surprising bonus, isn't it? I mean, the number of times I've been sat painting at nine o'clock and thought, oh, I need that. Like, I've run out of paint or something or my glue's gone. Having someone to pop down to at nine o'clock is a big deal, I think. I love it. <laughs> I absolutely. So it's interesting because you mentioned about the parking and stuff. And it is. It's just great that you can just pull up outside. And like you say, you're open late. I'm only 15 minutes away. It's actually better to come later in a way because you miss the traffic then. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I mean, we're a destination for a lot of people. Yeah. So it's not what we lose from being in the, from not being in the city centre. Yeah. Um, you wouldn't make up extra business in, in passing trade to cover the additional cost of renting a city centre property. Mm. Um, Paying city centre business rates. Oh, certainly not on this size as well. No, I mean, crazy. we've got 4,500 square foot. And how many tables have you got? So, a comfortable capacity for us is 80. I don't tend to do much more than that. That's playing on 6 by 4s. So, 80 people playing, so 40 tables. So, 40, 46 by 4s. Yeah. Um, I can squeeze more in, but I don't like squeezing more in, so I cap yeah. at that point. So... Um, the setup with the tables downstairs that you've seen. Which um, is ace. We're going to show pictures of that. It's brilliant. So there's a reasonable amount of room between the tables there. Yeah, there is. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you're not, you're not playing bum to bum. No. Um, <laughs> as at some, some large events that I've been to in the past, they, they're packing people in and it's great. You've got those people in there and you're gaming and it's all, it's all good fun, but it can get a bit close at yeah. times. So, and you don't want to be knocked into and knock people's models over, and there's all that hassle with the yeah. insert class, isn't there? So there's 21 tables set up down there at the moment, yeah, uh, and then there's 10 up here, yeah. Um, there's one more table that goes in um, in that main area, and then behind the roller door yeah. at the back, there's another eight tables that can be set up there, again with decent amount of room around them, and then the 10 up here, so I guess it's 40. 40 tables so really great to know as well so you've got a, a 40k the autumn tides tomorrow so there's 42 yeah 42, 42 people so that's there's 42 a big people. tournament so that's a big tournament yeah. but on top of that that doesn't mean that pay and players is not on tomorrow because no. you've got the capacity for up here people so can still yeah, come down I've got about four or five of the tables booked out up 
here tomorrow as well. Um, and we'll probably get capacity up here um, just on the walk-ins as well as the. Mm. So yeah, we'll probably have about twenty people up here, forty people, forty-two people downstairs. So we'll be not far off full capacity tomorrow. Plus, you've got your painting and chill-out area. So um, guarded by your primary space marine. Yeah, yeah. Time I was yeah he's down there camouflage. <laughs> is that his name? <laughs> this is his name. There's, <laughs> a, there's, a, there's a song, I can't remember, it was late 80s, early 90s called Camouflage. Oh, right. And one of the lines is, he really was one hell of a big Marine. <laughs> and when I unpacked the standee, I was like, that's one hell of a big Marine. So, <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Why not? So, um, Talking about, so Autumn Tide is obviously 40k, but you've got scenery here. We're just looking around for a vast array of games, haven't you? Yep. So you can accommodate pretty much anything people want to play, I think. Um, yeah. The only one I would struggle with is 15 mil. 15 mil. I can, I can do a few tables of 15 mil, but I don't have a lot of 15 mil terrain. Still pretty cool that you can do a few tables. That's the one you struggle with the most is a few tables of 15. Because I've seen, I've definitely seen some 28 mil sort of Japanese style stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think so, that's really nice. Um, yeah, the table you've seen set up in there is just set up as a 4x4. Four four. Mm. Um, but I can, there's enough terrain there. I've also got a four story pagoda. And yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, like downstairs. That needs finishing. But, yeah. Um, I know there's some space mats behind me. Yeah. Um, lots of generic green, um, some really nice city stuff as well. Next door, Ooh. scene, and there's that. Also, have you still got the awesome trees thing? Yeah, that. Although one, it's a bit that it, will need repairing. Yeah, it's a bit. It's been attacked. That by, was one of our uh, customers. Burned like, down by the Tim, corn. Tim built that. that yeah, was his own private gaming thing, and he was sort of like, "Well, I don't game at home, so I brought this up." And I was like, "Tim, that's gorgeous. Mm. It's going to get damaged if it gets played on." And he's like. It's fine, like, you know, just it just needs to be used. So I, I, it was used at one Age of Sigmar event. Oh, dear. And um, yeah, unfortunately, it's not massively robust, so it's it's out the back waiting to be repaired. But it's cool. It was like an Ewok village when it's yeah, it's awesome. cool. I suppose that's something else you've got to consider, isn't it? It's making sure everything's robust. Yeah. Um, so I've got the Japanese table you're talking about, MDF terrain. Um, which is great, MDF terrain is great, but I have to keep an eye on it here. So it tends to come out when people specifically ask for that terrain, because mm-hmm. if it's just left out and people are, are grabbing it in bits and pieces, the MDF is a little fragile. Especially, it's quite intricate, isn't it, that stuff? Yeah, well, most MDF stuff is. Um, so I've got a load of Second World War stuff um, in MDF as well for... Uh, Bolt action, chain of command, well, any 28 mil, um, second world war, really. Um, and I've got that from a number of different suppliers, and some of it's more robust than others. Mm. Uh, do you know Colin, Charlie Foxtrot? Yeah, yeah, I do, yeah. yeah. So I wargamed a couple of times with Colin when I was back down in Plymouth. Mm. So I've got some of his stuff, and that's actually pretty good because he makes it at a slightly thicker MDF. Mm-hmm. And because you don't have quite so many like on that Japanese stuff there's some very fine bits mm. because you don't tend to have so many fine bits on the sort of like solid European looking buildings that that survives a lot better and Colin's stuff's really good because it's a little bit thicker mm. 
Um, yeah. I think Colin's going to be. It's probably going to be because it's um. What's the name of the show next Sunday? Revelli. Revelli, and yeah. you got Warfare going on this weekend. Yeah, Warfare running? this weekend. Yeah. So I don't know if Colin's at. Colin may well be at Warfare this weekend, and he may well be at Revelli. So he's been getting around a lot of the shows. Recently. Yeah. He's yeah, producing some really nice stuff. Mm. I really like his. Um, he's just done a load of uh, Mediterranean-looking stuff that you could use for. Um, yeah, pretty much any Mediterranean, so sort of like Spanish Napoleonic stuff. Um, don't 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 get us onto pirates and or pirates. Cause, no, yeah, cause blood and thunder is so close to being like dominating my next <laughs> year's worth of hobby. A great uh, big ship. They're just sort of really sneak peeks of a galleon, enough. <laughs> it looks awesome, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I've, I've had to resist myself on that one because it's yeah, it's awesome and it's pirates. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, ship to ship combat and two galleons. I'm all over that. But <laughs> well, just have to, hang on. Um, bear with me just one second. Oh, he's gone looking for something. So this this could be bad if we see something really inspiring, couldn't it? Yeah, but it means that we have to talk to each other now again. Oh my goodness, that's outrageous, isn't it? Yeah. So Ben, at the moment, I got me in trouble because I didn't tell him he needed to write some fluff for our event tomorrow. Oh no. What? Oh, wow, look at this. That is gorgeous. Tablescape. So, Jim's just grabbed out, we'll, we'll have to get some pictures of this. So, like a tablescape Mediterranean church? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, did this come painted like this, too? Yep, that's how it turns so out. So, pre-painted, and actually pre-painted, it's dry brushed, but, but nicely, and it, so it's got like the highlights, it's not like the flat colours that you sometimes see, is it? No. Which you keep sort of laughing at me when I say that looks pretty great, but it needs weathering. I don't think that these do. These are like they're just ready to go. Yeah, and you were saying about robust because it's uh, um, I don't know, it's like a foam type, solid stuff. So it's it's pretty, it should be pretty robust. But yeah, I've got a whole town's worth of it. Awesome. Have you really? Mm-hmm. Oh dear. That's brilliant, isn't it? There's, there's another... Oh, my goodness. There's another, <laughs> another box Put that of it. Down. Put that yeah, that's, down. That's for our shop practice we're doing. Yeah. Uh, Peninsula War. Um, but, yeah, I, I got it. Oh, Dan. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know, so, man. Yeah, I got it because it can be used for... Um, Don't draw that parallel between sharp and 28mm Napoleonic. <laughs> if you haven't played on. sharp practice, Ben, it's awesome. <laughs> Two fat lardies. Rich has done a sterling job on writing the rules for it. It's, it's epic. We had a campaign weekend down here. <laughs> we had a campaign weekend down here, and um, it was four games played, uh, two on the Saturday, two on the Sunday, and we had people dropping in and out of play, and people bring their own models. A guy called Dave Hunter came down and, mm. uh, and ran it all for us, and he bought a huge box of, of models so that if you didn't have models, you could just like, jump in and, and play. That is something I really like that you see a lot more, I think, in the historical wargaming community is where people will just build a big collection to get everyone involved. So rather than just owning your own collection and turn up all the time, you know, people you'll get people who'll say, Right, I'm doing Peninsula War, so they'll paint all the British, the French, the Spanish, whatever they need, and then rock up with it, and then anybody can get involved. And I love that. I think that's such a cool community way of approaching gaming and something i'd be well up for doing you know if you took um the bad app war for example and then decided to do that did it with 40k but you do see it a lot i think with historical well yeah i mean one is historical models 
on the whole work out to be a lot cheaper to get hold of. Um, so it's not quite so much of an investment. I mean, if um, if you take something like the heresy, the heresy would be a great thing to do that with, wouldn't it? Horace Heresy to just do a campaign weekend where you could just come along and like jump on the model. But you're talking, even with the new plastics, probably, and I'd have to probably paint around. Yeah. Well, you wouldn't have to. No, I don't have to paint I've got, I've got an Imperial <laughs> Fist on me. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you, you're talking sort of like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pounds. Um, you know, a, a good size 30k force could set you back well over a thousand pounds. Oh, yeah, definitely. Whereas. I mean, uh, you'd be swimming in models, wouldn't you? Napoleonic for a thousand, for a thousand pounds. pounds. I mean, I've got Vitrix boxes in the shop, which are, are nice models, um, really nice plastics, and it's about twenty two, twenty three quid for fifty, sixty models. Yeah, like a models. company of infantry, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> and usually twenty eight mil. We usually break it down to would be about twenty four models to um, a battalion. So, mm. yeah, you get a couple of couple of battalions, two, three battalions out of a box. I mean, generally, if you're playing large-scale Napoleonics, mm. then you, you're going to need a lot of battalions, so you'll still end up buying a lot of those boxes. But they also break them down into um, centre and flank companies. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and all sorts of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot cheaper. So it's easier in some respects to, to go, yeah. Uh, oh, Warlord have just released... Their starter armies for the Peninsula War boxes. I think they're about ninety-five quid, and you yeah, get nigh on one hundred, hundred and forty-four models. Yeah. I think it is, isn't it? And, and again, a gun, yeah, and a cannon, yeah. And then they do like an expansion, yeah, um, box. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but then <laughs> then games like though. like Sharp Practice, they call it a large-scale skirmish, so it plays with between thirty and hundred models uh-huh. aside, um, and. It's kind so, of where the Warhammer forty k Warhammer sort of numbers are, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, I've just bought um, some Spanish because we've got another campaign event, and I'm running one of the tables for that. So I'm, I'm, well, I've been interrupted by Necromunda, but I should be painting Spanish for that. Yeah, everyone's been interrupted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can, literally cannot wait. So we've talked um, about your gaming area, which is Ace, and we've just been talking a lot about historical. So. Uh, my favourite part of here, by far, is the shop because um, <laughs> it's it's packed now. And I, I've said before, actually, I remember saying to you when I first sort of came in that I was a little bit obsessed with this idea that has stuff had to be on the shelf because I wanted to buy it off the cuff. And, and actually, what I found over time is that a you get it in really quick. B I'd rather support you anyway, so I don't mind waiting. C I really don't need models right this second. But lastly, you've grown that range now, and actually, you hold quite a quite a range, really, don't you? I think quite a cross section of miniatures. Yeah, I mean, the shop's grown as as the business has started to grow. So, pretty much most of the money goes back into the business. So, when we started, we didn't. I mean, we've got um, the neoprene mats on. What I can do about ninety percent of the tables now. So, about. Yeah, 30, 35 neoprene mats um, on tables. Um, but when we first started, we didn't have that. We had um, blocks and textured board. Um, so when I got a little bit more money to invest in the business, I went out and bought a load of neoprene mats. Mm. Um, and it's the same with the shop. As the shop's got busier, it's allowed me to invest 
more money in stock. Um, it's also because we've been here now three years, I've got much more of a handle on what will sell from my shop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I can be a lot more focused in what I buy. Um, so, and also the other thing I found is that the more of something I have on the shelf, the more I sell of it. So, mm-hmm. um, Games Workshop stuff has sold reasonably well for us since we opened. Um, that's just a, a given, and it's pretty easy. Games Workshop make it easy for you, actually, as a stockist. Um, I know we've discussed probably in the last year or so as well with their cha- the changes they've made. It, you know, it's making it easier. They, and easier. they make it easier for you, easy for you as a stockist because if you're on their stockist program, they're, they have core lines that you, you keep in stock. And they monitor what sells for them, uh, which are their, their top selling lines. And they say, well, you keep these on the shelves. And you sort of commit to them to always having that stock on the shelf. So as soon as it sells, you reorder it through. Um, but they know what's selling through and they're mm. monitoring it. So if you're just starting out, then you go, well, we'll take that because that's what people want. That's what people are buying. And then from there, I obviously get to know the, the trends within my own customer base. Mm. So I can then pick up on... So I go through phases where maybe I'll have pretty much every Necron in the range of because I know that there's three or four guys locally that have just started up Necron courses. So I'll respond to that by making sure there's Necron stuff on the shelf um, more than necessarily I have to I have to stop. Um, and yeah, so the Games Workshop stuff is relatively easy because Games Workshop make it easy for yeah. you. Um, some of the other stuff has been trial and error. Mm-hmm. Um the historical range kind of started off as a bit of an indulgence because I like the historical stuff. So it started off very small. Yeah. But then as um, a lot more local people realized I was stocking historical stuff, that allowed me again to grow the historical range. Mm-hmm. So now I have quite a quite an extensive range. I carry a lot of Victrix, a huge amount of Warlord. I'm a Warlord official stockist as well. Um, one of the higher levels of their stock is level, so I carry quite a lot of Warlord stock. Mm. Um, Gripping Beasts, I carry uh, pretty much their full range of plastics. Um, but it's, it's all stuff that sells through. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I tend to, as newer stuff comes out, Games Workshop's easy, there's pretty much new stuff comes out every week. So, on that one, I obviously take a lot of pre-orders of customers for the new releases mm. and try and get in slightly more stock than just the pre-orders and then that will sit on the shelf for a bit. So, I mean, a Plague Burst Crawlers, is it the tank thing? Mm. That is a Plague Burst Crawler, isn't it? Is this the um, the Evolved Smart Car? Or the no, the, the, the big, big one. one the yeah. big one. It is the yeah. Plague Burst Crawler, yeah. Yeah, so it's got the big mortar on yeah. the front, yeah. I mean, that one, I think, I've sold a load of them on pre-order and I've sold at least one it's a week filth. since release. Indirect mm. fired like tank busting cannon. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so that is now sort of like a permanent fixture in my range. When I sell one, I order another one in and it goes on the shelf. Um, other ranges sort of like go in and out of, of Vogue. Um, X-Wing, I, at one point I couldn't stock it fast enough. 
<clears throat> um, that's slowed down a bit, but I've got pretty much a full range of X-Wing on the shelf. And as it sells through, I replace it. But you kind of, the shop's grown. Mm. And the ranges that I stock in have, have grown. Right, with it. I yeah. think what's quite impressive is the vast range of uh, hobby products that you've got. So you've got, I know you've got a large amount of the Vallejo model colour. You've got the Vallejo Game Air. You've got the Vallejo metal range now which is quite recent which is really cool yeah, so we've got um, what, i see people keep ranting and raving about that metal yeah, yeah yeah it's awesome it was one of my customers put it on they put me onto it as well yeah. um it's just like have you tried this and i was like no he's like it's brilliant get it in and i will buy some and then i was like okay i'll see if i can get it and um and then then he went then he backpedaled massively and he was like don't get it in just because i've said it's awesome it's just <laughs> like you know because well, i'm you know but I was like, no, no, it's a guy that I trust. He's a very good painter. Yep, trust his opinion, so we'll give it a go. So I got in a limited range. I think I got in a gold, silver. Mm. And it goes on. It's meant to go on over a gloss black primer um, to get the best effects. So I got some of the gloss black primer and some of their metal varnish. It's supposed to go over the top of it, and that's that sold through. Um, I experimented with it to see see how I got on with it. And so when customers came in and asked, I could give an honest yeah. mm-hmm. opinion on it. Um, and your cabinets are, are filled with your models. So you just told me that half of the models in the meals. About half of the models in there. They're really opinion. lush, mate. There's great, great models around you. Um, but yeah, so yeah, we've got a pretty good hobby range. Um, most Lots of, of gamers grass, the little tufts and yeah, stuff. Yeah. There's loads of that. Um, I've picked up a load of that. And you've even got the packs of like the weathering. Yeah. Yeah, the, um, yeah, Vallejo do a load of, mm. um, yeah, little packs. They do, uh, one for vehicle weathering, rust effects, streaking, stuff like that. And they do, uh, a whole one on, uh, non-metallics as well, which looks pretty cool. It's kind of a theme for the month, isn't it? Non-metallics. Well, yeah, yeah, cause you had the interview, didn't you? Tell me in the last episode and talked about non-metallics. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a bit beyond me. I'm like, I'll just <laughs> slap on a bit just, of, uh, bulgur metal, not bulgur metal, leather belt shirt and. <laughs> And look at it in different lights when I when I want to look at it differently. <laughs> cool. Well, I think we're going to have to wrap it up, but it's been really awesome talking to you, mate. And I am super stoked about coming in tomorrow. I, I am, yeah, actually. From from about an hour ago or hour and a half when I was half falling asleep on the floor in, in the living room because I was so tired. So then having a coffee, coming down, having a chat, really excited. Uh, it's going to be awesome. Uh, Should be good. Really appreciate well, everything do really. Um, people will know or hopefully know you've been really supportive of the podcast, sharing things, um, you know, chatting to me um, endlessly about whatever every time I pop in. So that's great. So thank you so much. Is, is he chatting to you or are you chatting to him endlessly? I don't know. We shoot? both have our fair share. We're both bad for it, to be fair. Oh, okay. We have a good go at it. So, <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. does have to come into the shop and at times and say, Le- "Leave that customer alone, Jim. They they really need to go." <laughs> I'm, fa- I'm fairly sure I've had people that I've been chatting at for, for quite a while <laughs> who have been close to wetting themselves because <laughs> they need the toilet. <laughs> They've just been too polite to go. <laughs> <laughs> On that bombshell, guys, all I could say is if you are up in the area, or even if you're not, you know, get on a plane and travel, but but come see Jim in Big. Fantastic venue. We'll get all the details up and get some links. Um, Thank you again, dude. Yeah, I'll, I'll check you some um, links to the Tablescape guys, because they're doing some awesome terrain. Yeah. And um, yeah, and Charlie Fox. He does some yeah. cool stuff as well. Absolutely. So some stuff for you guys to check out. Um, thank you very much for listening. Um, 
Cheers, guys. We're in the world, Dan. The world. So we are back, guys. Um, the drop pod. Ben's just singing. Why not? You don't want to hear me sing. You done? Probably, yeah. Right, good. We are <laughs> almost at the planet's surface now, bringing the light that is chatting on a sofa to uh, another world in the Imperium. But what we wanted to talk about in the wilds today was um, some really awesome terrain it's that amazing. we've seen. Oh, it's it's great. So what we've got, <laughs> Ben is flicking through the iPad, looking at it now. So this is tabletop world. So they create buildings, uh, fantasy-esque scenic buildings and they are well they're incredible aren't they then really they're, they're amazing i mean remember the um old inn that forgeworld did yeah it's right out of that kind of part but i i think um i think it's better yeah yeah well they focus on that don't they so yeah. they're in resin um the detail guys is phenomenal but like, one of my favorites is the blacksmith's forge and the, the whole forge is set up it's got the table with the, the anvil, and oh, it's just amazing. I'm trying to bring the actual... I'm not an iPad man. I don't have an iPad, so I don't know what I'm doing. Look, with the fire, and there's tools hanging on the wall. There, look. And I think with these buildings, you can take the roof off as well mm. and look inside. But there is these are, are significantly nice. Look at that town gate, dude. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah, so... And and what's so nice is they're so well done. They look like you could... They're real. They do. They do, don't they? They look like models of real places. Yeah. Um, But they've got enough, like, slightly quirky. oddness, quirky, yeah. to be fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. It's great, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And having things like a blacksmith's forge and a merchant shop goes back to what we were saying in the in the Mortal Realm segment yes. about world building. You know, yeah, yeah. Who makes the Dark Oath swords? The the, the Dark Oath sword bloke. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and like, there's a merchant shop here. We'll post pictures of all these guys because um, we'll post the links. The merchant shop is a three-story building, but it just comes with a whole ton of stock that is, in this picture, just piled up around the front of his house. For the but, pumpkins. And, and a string squash. of sausages, look. A string, of a string of sausages, a butternut squash, cauliflowers, buckets, barrels, cauldrons. Uh, it's just phenomenal. It's it's so detailed. It is really, really nice. Um, I would really like, going back to what I was saying in the Mortal Realm segment with the floating islands, mm. I may have been quite excited about that. It might have come across. Um, these... Imagine them like on there, but like with vines growing up yeah, around them and yeah. stuff, man. It would just be so good. They're not prohibitively expensive. I mean, some of the bigger ones are, but 52 euros is about 30, 40 quid? 40 mm, quid now? Yeah, 40, 45. <clears throat> 40 quid? That is a centrepiece. You don't need more than one or two of these, really, to make a really big. No, impact. and obviously, if you won the lottery, you'd build a town, wouldn't you? But. You don't have to. Yeah, another thing worth pointing out is they have a range of smashed up buildings that that are um, crying out to be a Mordheim built. Look at those town walls. Man. I know. 
Amazing. That's amazing, isn't it? What have we got in here? Landscape. This is this is a new way of doing this section, just going through the Yeah, yeah. Oh, river section. Look at that dead tree. Oh, so with the river, look, you you could essentially buy some sort of polystyrene. And just set it in. And set it in. And then fill it full of resin or something. Wonderful. And this isn't a cheap oh. way. Of, this isn't a cheap way of doing it, dude. The twenty-five quid, of, the twenty-five euros a section. No, that is true. But they are stunning. Absolutely stunning. All the accessories. Let's go into accessories. And I know that one of these guys. Oh, look at this! That well, that well is just Furniture. well. It's amazing. Rubble, groceries, supplies. Hey. Could use some of those supplies to do me barbecue shop and the mortal realms <laughs> in, the, in the realm of fire. Yeah, absolutely. So definitely worth checking out, guys. It, the tabletop world stuff is really, really nice. We um, could spend hours just. Going we could spend a long time going through. And and actually, to be fair, we've we would love to hear from anyone that's got some of it because we're obviously looking through, saying, "Oh, this is amazing." I, I I've not actually held any of these no. these things. Uh, neither of you, but I'm sure. I have a feeling that won't last. All right. <laughs> well, that, room, that tower, tower needs to end up on a floating island full of skulls. So Yeah, it certainly does. Got to be done. It certainly does. I'd like to see more of the ruined townhouses hmm. to make a proper Mordheim board. Well, it'll come in time, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm really, really impressed with that. So really, really cool. So, guys, that about wraps up episode 12. That is the shortest into the world we've ever done. Yeah, well, maybe next time will be a bit longer. We've got something a bit special in the works, um, which I don't really want to talk about right now, to be honest, because I want you guys to come back and listen to the next one. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we, um, we're going to be doing some more stuff with Into the Wilds, um, hopefully soon. So thank you for listening, as ever. Thank you for those of you, lots of you interacting online. That's fantastic. Um, we're still having an absolute blast. Yeah, definitely. Really, really good. Um, getting to meet up and chat and do hobby stuff. So we hope you're enjoying it as well, guys. Uh, thanks very much. Yeah. And please come and talk to us, um, at the two piece podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, cause we love, if you have any questions, pose a question to us and feedback from the episodes, then come on and have a chat. We love it. We absolutely do. Thank you very much, guys. Bye now.